As you know, we have, uh, which has been here over the last month or so, we've been doing a series on Can People Really Change? Um, this is important for us to think about because, as we heard this morning, there's um, some people that we know that there's been changes in their life as people change. And we also want to look at ourselves. Can we really change? Because what we're after is the ultimate goal of freedom. Okay, So the verse that we've been looking at um, over the time says, Christ has set you free, live in that freedom. So for freedom, Christ has set you free. In other words, we become Christians so that we can be free, not so that we can live a life where we're still bound in bondage to certain things. So I've looked at a a number of different aspects. Um, The last one I spoke on was, can we be free or can we change physically? And that didn't mean, you know, can we turn into a, a dog or something, I don't know. But what it meant was, Can we actually present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God? Because this is the way that we truly worship him, the Bible says. We don't think of that in in terms of like our worship a lot of the times. You know, we think, well, you know, my worship is, you know, when I get and sing or, or something like that or I say good things about God. But the challenge was in that, can I change? That Can the way I use my body actually be used to worship God? And that's a big change in this world. Because as people that know people, we understand that our bodies are used for so many things that just aren't what God wanted. And can we look at what God wants for us to use our bodies for and use it for that? That will come out in things like right living, um, right living sexually, right living with drugs and alcohol and those other things. But it could also be in gossip. What am I hearing? What am I speaking? It can be in the way we criticise or anything like that. Our bodies, the way we use our bodies is so important in our worship. Well, this week, I wanted to look at can people really change in their mind? Okay. What I want to talk to you today is that we have a capacity through Christ Jesus to change the way we think. Through the grace that he has brought into our life, we can change the way we think. Now, you'd have to say that that mental illness is a big thing today, right? Um, No doubt that many of you know someone, it might even be you, that's had a mental illness, and they're real. It's not like they're any different to a physical illness, but but often we've sort of thought, well, you know, the, the mind is separate, and if we're sick in our mind, it's not a real illness. This is the past sort of thing. So it was very much, you know, we'll, we'll put you away, we'll put you in an asylum and you can sit there and, and we'll give you electric shocks. Seriously, that's what they did to try and make things right. Maybe we make our mind right through counselling and other things like that, so working through problems, whatever it might be, but today I'm not going to be talking about those things. What I want to talk about is the attitude of our mind. How do we use our mind or, or how do we change the way we think that starts to bring our thoughts into the actual obedience to Christ Jesus, that that our thoughts are now obedient to the Word of God. And it is really important, guys, that we do this. It will affect the way you are mentally as well. So it can actually make your mind better, make you better about yourself, increase your confidence and your, your worth. It can change depression around. 
There's ways that it happens. The first way is, of course, that as we've been talking about, the grace of God, where we, we, for, we ask for forgiveness from God for the way we have thought, the way we've, we've been acting and things like that. And so we have a grace from God to do that. And in that grace also we have that second grace, the power for change to happen. Now, I know some people where prayer has brought instant change in the way they think the things that they do instantly. God's come and done something. But after that, we've also got to think about our vision, our intent, and our strategy. How are we going to get there? Because there's some things God can do and only God can do in your life, but there's other things that you have to do yourself. As I've said, it's no point just sitting on the couch and praying God do everything. It just doesn't work that way. And that is why intent is so important in that. Do I really want to change? If I don't really want to change, I won't. And I know this because I know people. So do you. They will come to you time after time with the same problem. You'll give them the same answer, the correct answer. This is how you can fix it. They walk away and do exactly the same thing. And they'll come back and complain that nothing's changed. The intent of our heart is so important and we need to want to change to be like Christ. We need to have that desire in us, first of all, that we want to be like Christ. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Basically, if you, if you read it in the, the New Living Translation, the basic translation was, would be this. Just because you say nice things doesn't make you a nice person. There's something deeper that we need to look at as Christians, as people, and that's the heart of who we are. What am I really like? Because you know there are people that are fake in your life. They will come up to you and hug you and say you're beautiful and wonderful. They'll turn their back on you, walk away and complain about you all the way. They don't care. On the outside, there's this really good projection, this image that they project to you, to the world, and you might even be doing that in some parts of your life. You're just fake. You say the right things, and maybe sometimes you even carry out the right actions towards a person, but inside there's jealousy, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's resentment, there's, there's something against that person because they've got something you want or you just choose not to like them. And this is why it is so important that we make change in the way we think because as we think, that's what we are, that is who we are, and that is how we really act. Our thoughts manifest in our behaviour and our words, but not always. It's not always obvious. Eventually it comes through. The flatterer, the Bible says, flatters with their tongue. The words are as sweet as honey, but in the end, it's like wormwood. Wormwood is a bitter wood that, that when they get the, the liquid out of it, it's bitter and it leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. There's a lot of fake people in this world. And Jesus pointed this out many times when he was on earth, and he pointed out to the religious leaders. He said, you know what, you guys are really careful. On the outside of the vessels, now he's talking about them as people, but he used this example because they came to Jesus and said, you're not washing the cups properly, basically. Your disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. You big sinners. 
Jesus had a go, to, go at them and he said, you know what, you guys, you clean this cup. It's shining, it's beautiful, it's so clean. But on the inside, it's dirty. And obviously, he wasn't talking about the cup. He was talking about their hearts. And he was saying, on the outside, you are doing all the right things. You're, you're saying all the right words. You're, you're, you're preaching this gospel of obedience to, to God. But on the inside, you're as ravening wolves, he said. You, you, you're, you're a son of Satan. And when you get someone and disciple them, you make them twice the disciple of Satan that you were. In other words, they had these thoughts inside of them that, that you couldn't see because thoughts don't get manifest. I can't tell what Brody sitting in the front row is thinking of me right now. Maybe he's not even thinking of me. <laughs> Let's hope that he's just listening to this message and letting it sink in. But we don't know what people think. Do you know people don't know what you think? I remember talking to one of my friends once and he was saying that he was having this fight with his wife and he was really angry and he's saying all this stuff and, and she goes, you shouldn't be talking like that. You shouldn't be saying those things. And he goes, but you're saying them on the inside, aren't you? And she goes, yeah, I am. <laughs> but on the outside, it looked good, right? I'm not reacting, but on the inside, I just want to call him this, that and the other and... You know, I'm going to show him. <laughs> There's a number of ways I want to look at today about changing the way we think. Do you know that a lot of the way we think comes out of who we think we are? From our upbringing, from our family, from the prejudices in our society, whatever it might be, we, we, our thoughts are formed by all these things swirling around us. So if I watched panels on TV, political panels... They'll be talking about stuff and they'll have their agenda. They'll, they'll float out these thoughts. And we start to think about those things. Now, often it's one-sided. Often it's just one thought. But, but what are the things in our life where the world actually teaches us what to think? Is this right for us as Christians to think this way? And I'm not just talking about thinking about things that we would class as sinful. So I'm not just think, saying, you know, thinking about the wrong things that are sinful. I'm saying what is in your mind about who you are, who your family is, the things that you do and the way you act. What is it that actually forms your thoughts? See, if I'm brought up thinking people of a certain race are inferior to me, my thoughts are going to be lofty and high and I'm going to think that I'm inferior to them. And that changes the way that I treat them. If I'm brought up and I'm continually told that I'm no good, worthless, a no-hoper and I'm never going to amount to nothing, it changes the way I think about myself. Because inside of me are these thoughts that are put in my head on nothing. And you see that all the time. Why do you think that famous people crash so much? Because they don't really believe the own hype that they get from other people around them. You're famous, you're amazing, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you're so funny. And then tragically, they'll end their life. But they've got everything, we say. They've got everything. There's something wrong with the way they're thinking about themselves. So let's look at a couple of verses that we looked at a few weeks ago when we were talking about our bodies and, and how can we change the way we use our bodies, which of course we can with God's help. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. 
And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So what are we noting there? We're really going to focus on the second part of that. Don't copy the behaviours and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Can you see how that transformation of your life is linked to the way you think? What's in your head determines how you are in this world. And when we start to think differently, when we start to think the way that God wants us to, we begin to be pleasing and good and carrying out his perfect will in our life. And as I said before, it's not necessarily in the way we act. So it might not be, you know, I'm acting good in a sexual way. So I'm not into sexual immorality. I'm living the life that God wants me to do, which is perfect. But there's other things that we have that are outside God's will that we don't often think about. Things like this. What do I think about another person? What behaviours and customs that this world has do I take upon myself? Do I live in a world like that they say that Australia is the land of the fair go, but it's also the land where we cut down the tall poppy. Behaviours and customs. We just joke around and we, we call each other you know, names or put people down, but it's funny. That's a behaviour or a custom of Australia. The way we rebel against authority, that's a custom or behaviour of Australia, wouldn't you say? Like, we don't like people in authority. We don't want to pay our taxes. We don't want to do this. We don't want to do that. We don't like our leaders, no matter where it is, in whatever sphere of life. It's a behaviour, it's a custom that we're starting to adapt and adopt into our life. It is also in the behaviours that are outside of what God wants us to do in the way we act. Whether I'm a, a slack worker that rips off the boss... Whether I'm someone who can't be trusted to show up, the custom of this world I was talking about, even in terms of um, when we're, we're contributing to society, the overwhelming thing is, leave me alone. I don't want to do anything for anybody else. It's all about me. The behaviour, the custom of this world. The custom of this world is to be individual. That it's all about me, my thoughts, my well-being, my happiness, my goodness, and it is going to be just, this world was made for me, and you guys better get in line with the program. Is it my behaviour and custom to tell people exactly what I think and give them a piece of my mind because they need to know the truth? And you might know this, you've seen people in a coffee shop, you sat next to them and all the time they're just yakking on about how they told this person that and they did that and, you know, it was really good and they're puffing themselves up in their pride because they're so insecure. 
the behaviour, the custom? What is it that, that in this world is creating the way you think? What is it that you see on TV, that you talk about in the schoolyard, that, you, that you're at work and do, that, you, that you're thinking everybody else is doing it, so it must be okay? What about things like, life's not even meant to be hard for me, it's meant to be cruisy and there's not going to be any trouble in this world and if someone does come against my... my um, happiness then obviously that's bullying and and yes there is bullying but I'll tell you what the way we think is this I cannot be hurt in one single way if anyone says something I disagree with that's not allowed is that a custom is that a behavior of this world is that the way you live so that you take offense quickly everyone's offended in this world as soon as anybody does something, they've got an opinion, they've got a reason why they shouldn't have done it, and you're offended because they did do it in the first place. You take it on and you hold on unforgiveness, and you don't forgive because that's what we do. We don't forgive. We get even. We don't get mad. We get even. We build revenge in our heart, and we're going to get them. What's that like in the school that you're at? Oh, everyone else doesn't like that kid, so therefore my thoughts are this, I don't like them either. I'm going to pick on them just like everyone else. I'm not going to stand up. I'm just going to go with the flow, the custom, the behaviour of this world. To seek after riches, is that the custom, is that the behaviour of this world where, where everything is so important, it's about gaining stuff. Or maybe it's about having lots of leisure. What is the behaviour, the custom of this world that starts to change your thinking? Oh, we need always need me time, me time, me time, and got no time for any other one else time, except for maybe our family, and we'll hold them close, but I've got no time to commit to anything else because this is my world. What's the behaviour? What's the custom of this world? What are the things that are attacking your thought life? What are the things that you are grabbing hold of? And how do, you, how do you possibly even stop that happening? How do you stop the thoughts coming into your mind, you know, that I'm not really anything because I haven't lived up to this standard that the world has put up there as a custom, a behaviour? What a woman should be, what a man should be. Oh, we'll come against this this great tragedy of sexualization of women, yet pornography is rife, so we're full of rubbish. This self-righteous behavior of we're coming against everything, yet it's getting worse. We've brought bullying programs into the school, yet they said now that bullying is at its highest rate ever, yet they've been teaching, don't bully. Why isn't it changing? Why is it that we seem to struggle day after day against these things? It's because our mind is not right. Why do kids feel like everything's hopeless and at the age of nine commit suicide? Come on. What's wrong with the thinking? What is it that's got into their mind that thinks life's that bad that I'm not living up to the expectation of what this world wants? 
What is it that's broken down in society that, that relationships are so flighty that I can just go and live with someone for three weeks, break up with them, then move in with someone else, drag my kid with me and give them ten fathers and expect that they have a stable upbringing? Are you getting that thinking in your life? What is it that God really wants? Because this is what's going to change the way you think. What does God say? The transformation that we need is by changing this to what God wants. Where people don't follow whatever the world wants, but start to follow what is it that Jesus is asking me to think, including about myself. Many of you know the story about me and, and I've had you know, some things in my life that made me just feel so worthless. I was like, I'm a nobody. And I have such dark thoughts about myself. I didn't love myself at all. I'd get depressed every now and then, fall into this little depression thing. And I will tell this story even though many have heard it. God grabbed a piece of scripture because I decided I was going to keep following and seeking him. And he planted it into my life and it was this. When Peter was praying one day, Peter, an apostle, it's a story in Acts in the Bible, a blanket came down from heaven with food that Jews weren't allowed to eat. And God said, eat it. He said, no, it's unclean. He took it back up to heaven, brought it down in this vision and, and said, Peter, eat it. He said, no, it's unclean. And, and God said this in that little passage. He said, Peter, don't call what I've called clean unclean. I tell you what, that started to change this. Because all of a sudden I had this image of myself and I was going around calling myself unclean. Yet the Bible had clearly said he had cleansed me from all unrighteousness, that he had made me whole again, that I was a person, that was a whole person that lived and, and loved and I can have the love of God and I can grow in faith and strength and knowledge. And that thought life changed. So as soon as that thought came in, I was like loudly, vocally, I would say that is wrong. Because this is what the Bible says. This is the truth. This is the knowledge that is coming into my heart that I am not unclean. I am clean. The truth changed my thought to change how I felt about myself, which changed my whole life within two weeks. And there'll be thoughts in your head right now about different things in life where, where you've got it wrong. You just got it wrong. But how do you know you're going to make it right? Because that passage we read says that transform yourself into a new person by changing the way you think. Well, I can never overcome this problem. Thinking, thinking, this person didn't, that person didn't. What are you being influenced by? It never happened for them, so it can't happen for me. But God says, my power is available to you. That same power that raised Jesus Christ from the head, that's the dead, that same Holy Spirit that lifted him up from the grave lives inside of you. And not only that, that that power is working in you for my good. The work that I started in you is not finished and is going to be completed. That's the truth. And so what we do is we tend to put our mind on the things that are not of God and we focus on them instead of looking at the truth of the word of God. And we don't change the way we think, so we end up in exactly the same place that we were and have always been. 
And in this letter that, that we read a passage from where Paul was writing to the Romans, it's an unfolding of the way we need to think as Christians and the chapters that go on from there attack some of the customs and behaviours of the world that they were in, which isn't that dissimilar to ours today. He wrote this book of Romans and he'd been a Christian preacher for some 20 years before he wrote this book. And he wrote it from a town called Corinth. Because he wanted to go to Rome, but he was heading back to Jerusalem. He thought, it's important, I'll write a letter to the Christians in Rome. Never been there. But he was planning to visit them and he sent this book out. It was highly treasured and widely read amongst the Roman churches. In fact, they memorized this book and it was almost read every week in the churches. Because what it does is enfold the grace of God and his goodness and his plan of redemption. So firstly, I just want to attack this thought in your head. Firstly, we have to start thinking about others, not just ourselves. If we want peace in this life, we have to take the focus off ourselves and, and our world. The custom is to think about me. You think about it, the ads you see. Reward yourself. You deserve this. We're catering for you. In other words, it's that appeal to self. Look at a passage in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 24 to 27. And we see here the disciples having an argument. Then they began to argue among themselves who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it's going to be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. But not here. For I'm among you as one who serves. You see, as Christians, we're called into a family. And it's actually not about us about others. The problem when we're all looking out for ourselves is we've only got one person looking after us. But when we all look out for each other, we've got a hundred people looking after us. And we're part of a hundred looking after someone else. This is the first thing that we need to understand that as people, we need to humble ourselves and we have to understand that we're here to serve others. And we're thinking differently. And in this passage here, the disciples were arguing about being the greatest. And you know what? One thing that Jesus didn't do, he didn't discourage them from actually wanting to be great. He just said, you've got to think differently, though, about being great. Because being great is a good thing in the kingdom of God, but being great in the kingdom of God means that you're now the servant of all. And so he wasn't saying, don't, don't think about being great. What he was saying was this, you want that? Let me teach you something. Think differently. I'm here. In this kingdom, I am here among you to serve. And that's what the Bible says. Jesus, he had everything. 
but he didn't consider it to even try and take control. He gave up everything and he humbled himself and became a servant so that we could be saved. And then the Bible says we should have this same mind, the same mind of Christ, that it's not about us, it's not about power, it's not about getting somewhere, it's not about rising in the ranks and achieving greatness for ourselves. But what it is, is about us serving others and changing the way we think. Do you know what happens then? We stop worrying so much about our life. We stop worrying about how unfair it is for us. We stop worrying about how no one does anything for us because it changes the way we think. And so we feel better about ourselves. You see, we belong to each other. That's the thing about being a Christian. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Christ and you belong to your brothers and sisters. We're all parts of this body that are meant to be there together, serving each other, contributing to each other's life, to lift each other up, to help each other. And as the chapters after the verses we read in Romans unfold, it basically says this love has to be our true goal. Love people. Being helpful, being hospitable, living in harmony, having peace, not looking for revenge, not looking to repay evil with evil, that as Christians we submit to authority. You see, that is one of the things of this world that we don't like to do. Yet it's something that the Bible says you need to do. Submit to those in authority. Why? Because they're God's ministers of righteousness. It's saying that if there's a cop, you submit to them. You say, yep, because they're here to administer justice on the earth. They work for God in what they do, to pray for your leaders and those in authority, to listen to them. And this is one of those trends that can give you so much lack of peace. Now, it's not saying just put up with evil and corrupt behavior. Another thing Paul talks about, and it's no different to here in, in those chapters, pay your tax. Don't try and get out of it. Pay your tax. What's owed to the government? Pay it and also pay your bills. It says don't owe anybody anything. Don't try and squirm your way out and, or, or make it cheaper or screw someone down so you can get your own way. In Romans 13, 9 and 10, it says this, For the commandments say, You must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfils the requirements of the law. This can change the way you think. Many Christians think this way, I'm not allowed to do this, I'm not allowed to do that, I have to do this, I have to do that, and there is truth that God wants us to act a certain way. I just want you to have a look at that. And Jesus said it too, didn't he? He said, I'm giving you a new commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Why did he say that? This is basically saying, parroting what Jesus said. This is what the commandments say. And, and as Christians, we come into this because we have a legalistic mindset sometimes. That might be something you need to change in your life. Maybe you've come from a Christian background that's all about you can't do this, you can't do that, da, da, da. there's all these rules and regulations. And we're living by these and we're not free, we're bound by the law, but then all of a sudden we're set free by this thing called love. Why? You see, I can actually basically, what that verse is saying, 
Actually, you can throw away that. Throw away the law that says don't commit adultery. It doesn't matter, okay? Throw away the law that says don't murder. You don't need that anymore. You don't need that law anymore. What about stealing? Is that a law I need to obey? No, get rid of it. You don't need that law either. You, you don't need that law. What about coveting? That's wanting some, what someone else has got. No, throw it away. You don't need them. Because that last bit there that says love covers all of those things. Think about it. If I love my wife, I'm never going to commit adultery on her. If I love my neighbour, I'm never going to want what he has. If I love a person, I'm never going to murder them. Change the way you think. Let love be the goal that's inside of you. Why? Because if you learn to love, you don't have to worry about the law. That's what it's saying. Because when you love, you're just going to do that anyway. And that's why when we don't let that love grow inside of us, we, we, we live in this bad way. We don't follow what God wants. We follow the customs of the world because love's not in us. And it's saying, let that be your goal. Let love be your goal. Let, let yourself get filled with the love of God and understand that he loves you. Because guess what? God's love never changes. Never changes. And those of us, like me, who have ever had that image problem, your own self-image, for whatever reason it might be, it might be rejection, it might be words spoken over you, maybe you just don't feel you're pretty enough, whatever it might be, those words of rejection, when you put that under the word of God which says, you know what, you belong to me and you're loved by me, and you understand that that is the most important thing, is what God thinks, what God says, you don't care what anyone else says, and all of a sudden that depression, that misery, that lack of joy can leave. You see, who you are is defined by the way you think, your family, your experiences, your prejudices, whatever it might be. But what we've got to do is start to this. What does God say about me? What does he say about who I am? What does he say about who I belong to? What does he say about how I live my life? And you know what? Our mind will lie against the truth of the gospel day after day. I did a course once called Friends for Life. And um, it was about teaching kids about being um, coming out of I guess th- th- there have been difficult emotional circumstances and bringing them out of those things and building, I can't remember what that word is now. It was one of those words at the time, you know, that, that people like to use. Not robustness, but something. What was it? That's the one. Resilience. <laughs> How do I cope with the knocks alive? It's really interesting because one of the things they did was they had a kid who, had, who said this statement, nobody loves me, I've got no friends. Now, that breaks your heart, right? As a parent, as a person, it breaks your heart. But what they did was they got the kid to sit in a chair and they had this special detective and they'd put on a hat and they'd go, okay, so you've said no one loves you. Obviously, they know the family situation and things like that. Does your mum love you? 
Yeah, my mom loves me. Does she? Is she your friend? Yeah, she's my friend. What about your dad? Yeah, he loves me. Is he your friend? Yeah. Have you got any friends at school? Oh, yeah, there's, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry. They're my friends at school. And it's just really interesting to see the thoughts being examined, which is what we're going to get to in a minute. This is how you're going to break it in your life. The thoughts being examined. What was happening was I'd taken this thought, I've got no friends and no one loves me, and they were examining it in the light of truth. You got that? So the truth was actually people did love him. And he did have friends. But when we allow our mind to go away from the truth and believe lies, that becomes our reality. And we start to live our life out of that, don't we? So if I don't think anyone loves me, I don't care what I do. I don't care about self-harm. I don't care about those things because no one cares. But is that the truth? It's not the truth. But we, as Christians, have a way to reveal what is a right thought and a wrong thought, to reveal the truth in our life and what's the lie. And this is something, <laughs> I don't know, just as a parent, I think we were right on to this with our kids, right? So we got it all right, but this is one of those things. I remember our kids, one of them came out and said, oh, I don't know what they said, or something like, oh, you don't love me, or I don't love you, I can't remember which way around it was. It was like, unacceptable. You can't say that. Not in this house, because it's not true. And we stamp down on it, they know we love them. But there are certain things we even let other people think and get away with that aren't the truth and we entertain that in their lives. But stopping those thoughts right at the start, examining them against the truth, because we knew that they loved us, we knew that we loved them. Stop it. Unacceptable. Do you know that's discipline? It's not punishment, it's discipline. It's like, no, discipline is about this, guys, with your kids, correcting them. If you think about it, it's not about punishment, it's about correction. Where are they going off the path to bring them back to the right path? And this is what the Word of God does to us. So often people will think, you know, God punishes us by making us sick. Not true. The Word doesn't say that. Look through the New Testament. There's, well, there is a case where someone didn't give all the money that they said that they should to the church and they got killed. Um, but those that belong to him, he doesn't strike them down with sickness. He says, the word of God is given to you for correction, for discipline, for instruction in righteousness. The word of God is given to you for those things. And you think when you're driving, you, you, you go off track, but if you watch yourself driving today, you'll be correcting all the time, just little corrections. The problem is when we don't correct our children and when we don't correct our thinking, we end up in a big crash. Because the way to get back on the path is such a violent jerk of the steering wheel that we end up rolling over. We end up being in this place that we shouldn't be. We end up being in what we metaphorically call a ditch. And life is out of control. I mean, as a leader, like, of a church, even a church, brains are enough. There's many times you get people's opinions thrown at you. What you did right, what you did wrong, and... You should have done this, you shouldn't have done that, or they think this, they... People say things that you said that you never said. All leadership's like that. And so if you're striving for leadership, just understand that there's a cost. Jesus got questioned. The disciples pulled him aside and said, are you sure you're doing the right thing, Jesus? Pharisees took him aside. 
But there's an opportunity to really doubt yourself. You know, there's that attack against who you are, what you're doing, am I doing the right thing, God, all those sorts of things. And you know what? Your mind can just take yourself to places that aren't real, they're not true. You can get accused of going against what God wants and you know in your heart you're definitely not. You're doing everything you can to build the church and love people and you just want to love them. You might not know this, there was actually a lot of resistance to my appointment as pastor of the church at the time. I felt it was right with God and God worked amazingly, miraculously. But can you imagine what you have to battle? You have to stand in front of people some of them that didn't want me to be the pastor. What do you think? This is why it's important to really anchor yourself to God's truth, his revelation in your life. And I knew what God wanted me to do so I could stand firm in that. But even that didn't mean I would necessarily succeed. There's a lot of people who are doing the right thing they got pulled out from God's purposes because of evil people that did not love God. I'm saying these people are evil, by the way. So it's important to understand who God is in your life because if I didn't have a faith in God, my strength in Him, and examine my thoughts according to His word, I would have just fallen down. You might get those thoughts. You're a bad parent. You're a hopeless parent. All your kids are going off track. Well, this one did. These ones are going to too. No. Is that what God says? He says, just keep signing to your kids. Don't have those thoughts. Pray for them. Pray that the, their eyes will be opened. Whatever it might be, just continue to hold on to the truth of the Word of God. So here we, here's how we're going to do this. All right? The verse is a little bit you could probably say it's taken out of context, but you know, you look at Paul, he wrote some verses very much out of context in his letters. But it's not out of context with what we're talking about. Second Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5. And I just want to draw a picture to, to sort of illustrate it, hopefully to you, about what you need to do with your thoughts and make you hopefully consider why it is so important that you read the Word of God. Hopefully you should be able to see. I'll draw it big. All right. Let's just have a thought. Uh, I am worth nothing. All right. Easy thought just sort of put up there. Nothing. What I pick a long word. All right. Is that true or not true? How do you know? Who assigns your value? Who does all that stuff? Okay. Have a look at this verse here. We use, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning to destroy false arguments. We destroy every power obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. All right. What are we trying to do with our thoughts here? Have a look. What we're we using, God's mighty weapons, which are what? Well, the word of God's mighty. They're talking about convincing people about Jesus. But we can put this into our mind. 
to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning. So the first thing that we've got to come against is, is this just human reasoning? Am I just thinking this way because of a certain event, the way I've been brought up, whatever it might be? Uh, strongholds of it. So these things are strong in our life to destroy false arguments. In other words, we have this argument in our head, I'm not worth anything. Yeah, doesn't matter what. Oh, they said that I'm really nice, but I'm not worth anything. Doesn't matter. They're false arguments. They're things that aren't true. They're not right. They're not pure. They're not, not just. They're not holy. And what we want to do is break down an obstacle that get, keeps people from knowing God. So even for yourself, when you think this way, you're never, you're never going to know God. You'll be saved because you've received Jesus, but you're never going to know him because every time you approach God, all you're going to think about is how useless and hopeless. You're a worm. You're a sinner. How can he possibly love me? He's never going to do anything for me because I'm just hopeless and useless. 